This is a Media Lab podcast. Here he comes, Mr. Canada. What's with the sash there? Well, since it's the only thing I have on, I think you know exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, and very tastefully placed. Well, um, very tastefully placed. I had to make a couple of cuts for it to fit around, but, uh, you know, mm. I think everybody gets the gist. Yeah. Are they doing this? I'm sorry to uh, to pry too much into your personal life, but as you have uh, come dressed like this here this week, uh, are they allowing pageants to happen again? Uh, is this a Zoom meeting that's going to happen here very soon? Uh, fill me in on what the on the backstory is here. No, it's just it's just Saturday. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen. This monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle and Dave, Dave versus, versus the machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I am Dave. And I'm the Machine. A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Uh, for whatever reason, this machine really wants us to go through the year 1999. And today, we're going to be watching the film Drop Dead Gorgeous. Every year, in the small town of Mount Rose, Minnesota, a special competition takes place. I know what some of your big city no-bra-wearing, hairy-legged women libbers might say. They might say that a pageant is old-fashioned and demeaning to the girls. No, I think you boys are going to find something a little bit different here in Mount Rose. Ouch! <laughs> but for two ambitious girls... I believe this pageant teaches you what's really important in life. I dream of getting out of Mount Rose. I mean, guys get out of Mount Rose all the time for hockey scholarships or prison. And two jealous mothers. My daughter is the most talented contestant that Mount Rose has ever had. It's not just about beauty. Go Muskies! Woo! So, I, I feel like I'm going to know the answer to this, Dave, uh, based on uh, reactions at the time and, and what I know of this movie. But what's your history with Drop Dead Gorgeous? I have none. But I will say this, I had a, a very interesting movie IQ around this era where mm. I know that this is a, a Kirsten Dunst movie, even though I've never watched it. And I used to have the almost omniscient ability on television that if I would flip by channel surfing past a movie, I could tell you exactly what movie was, even if I hadn't seen it. And it used to creep Helen out. That power's gone because I don't watch movies as frequently or like i'm not connected to the to the movie world as much i don't watch as many trailers mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff on commercials but uh yeah uh, so i know i know Kristen dunce is in it so that's that that's reminds me of my grandmother who if we ever played trivia games and it was asking about a movie her answer was always cool hand lube <laughs> a movie a movie in which she had never seen so oh man that movie <laughs> I find uh, it's a bit overrated i was a little disappointed oh, okay yeah well, um, I'm kind of right there with you. Uh, I've, I'd heard of this movie and uh, really did not think about it for probably over a decade until, I don't know, a few years ago, I noticed it creeping up onto a lot of critics, uh, I guess, like misunderstood films or films that didn't get a proper shake when they first originally came out. This is definitely what you would call a cult movie, especially... Uh, if you get into like, you know, teenage girls or even like the queer community, Crazy. like this is a big movie for them specifically. Like this uh, hits a lot of the boxes that that, that they enjoy. Phrasing. A lot of good sound bites here. So I'm excited to jump into this because I don't really know a whole lot other than it is a beauty pageant. That's kind of the only thing I know about this movie. I don't really know anything else about it. So, uh, yeah. I'm excited to see it. With the movies we've been watching, Kyle, how bad could it be? I mean, it can't be Superstar, can it? Let's hope <laughs> not. Instead of throwing other movies under the bus, let's go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about Drop Dead Gorgeous. 
Hi there, everyone. Just Kyle breaking in here once again to tell you about some of the people that make this show possible. Dave is, of course, uh, continually doing his makeup and rearranging his sash to go out onto the pageantry circuit if and when that ever gets up and rolling again. So it's left to me to sit here and tell you about these people. First and foremost, I should let you know that Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. So in Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. If you want to learn more, you can go to parkpower.ca. This week, we're also brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, so let's go and listen to one of our other great shows. Hello and welcome to That's a Thing, a sometimes belated, already outdated guide to your teens, tweens, and everything under 20. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Karen. Every month we have a conversation across the generation gap about media, pop culture, society, the internet, that kind of thing. Karen is my mom, and she's old. (laughs) I am her daughter, and I am young. Together we are one human being, here to share with you. Uh, Sometimes we bring in another human being, who is Elizabeth's brother, John, to do a deep dive into memes and stuff like that. Hi. Thank you, John. Uh, We were named the Outstanding Kids and Family Series at the 2020 Canadian Podcast Awards, so we have that going for us. Yes, and we will brag about it until the day the podcast ends, because I am petty. (laughs) You can find That's a Thing in the podcatcher of your choice. That is That's a Thing, question mark, exclamation point. You can also find us at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Is that everything? I think that's it. Thanks, sweetheart. Bye. Well, Dave, uh, not only were you correct in saying that Kirsten Dunst was in this, but apparently every female actress is in this movie. It's crazy. <laughs> the uh, They're not even cameos. It's crazy how everybody seems to have gotten their start. Amy Adams is the in most surprising movie. as the uh, yeah, sexual Adams, cheerleader. Uh, what Brittany the hell is Murphy that? is Brittany, in there. Brittany Murphy's still yeah. sweet, you know, pre-heroin or whatever it was that she broke. That's dark, but uh, she looked awful towards the end of her. Anyways, yeah, she looked cute and sweet. It was nuts. And uh, I know you have Allison Janney in it and uh, Ellen the, Barkin. Yeah, all, and all the big actors. Ellen Barkin. Yeah, there's just uh, Christy Alley, of course, but can I, all these all these actresses. Can I just quickly quip that this is easily Denise Richards' best acted role of her career? Oh, well, there. Yeah. The gauntlet has been thrown yeah. down. I think you're forgetting about Christmas Jones, uh, but... We'll maybe talk about that later. Is that her last name in that movie? I can't remember. Her first name is definitely Christmas. You'll notice the silence. I, I can't even acknowledge <laughs> what you... Well, let's let's get some backstory here. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Actually, I'm sorry. Let me push this button first. Boop, boop, Keep boop, the boop, fiction boop. up. Drop Dead Gorgeous was released on July 23rd of 1999. There were two other films that were released that week. There was The Haunting, written by Carrie David Self and Michael Tolkien, Directed by Jan DeBont, starring Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Owen Wilson. That's The House? Yes. Uh, I think I think it's basically just The Haunting of Hill House, but they just call it The Haunting. Is that it's like another the, update of that movie. Oh, no. Tolkien, so it's Christopher Tolkien. Okay, keep going. Yeah, no, d- different spelling. Not not that Tolkien. Also, there was Inspector Gadget, Ooh. written by Carrie Aaron and Zach Penn. Classic. I don't know how Zach Penn keeps getting work, but there you go. Directed by David Kellogg, starring Matthew Broderick, Rupert Everett, and Jolie Fisher. Is that Kellogg's as in the Kellogg's Cornflake family? Well, it's definitely spelled the exact same way, so possibly. He's riding high on that Cornflakes money. Snap, crackland. No, that might be G. Gen- that's Kellogg's, I think. Yeah, let's move on. Anyways, this, this movie is rated 6.6 on IMDb, 28 on Metacritic. Ooh. And on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 68 critic reviews, it is 46%. 
And then based on 640,255 user reviews, it is 75%. So definitely a big split there between critics and viewers. This film, luckily the the machine had a copy for us to watch because it's not all that easy to find. It is available on DVD. There was no Blu-ray release that I could find, at least. Uh, And apparently, you can find it on the streaming platform Popcorn Flicks, but only in French. So I didn't even that play. Are your, I didn't even play. Not that we your, looked, but the French one didn't even tried. play. Yeah, it's disappointing. So, pretty, pretty hard to find this, unfortunately. Its budget was $15 million. It opened to $4 million. Domestically, it would make $10 million, that is. Internationally, it did not have an international release, so zero. So it left theaters with only $10 million on that $15 million budget. Uh, so a big box office flop. I feel like we have to count how many times you say box on this episode. Its plot description from IMDb is, A small town beauty pageant turns deadly as it becomes clear that someone will go to any lengths to win. It stars Kirsten Dunst as Mary Amber Atkins, Kirstie Alley as Gladys Lehman, and Denise Richards as Becky Ann Lehman. So let's talk about Denise Richards for a little bit. She was born September 17th, 1971. She started her career guest starring on TV shows such as Saved by the Bell, Doogie Howser, Married with Children, and Beverly Hills 90210. She would then take a role in the very bad, but it is a cult film, Tammy and the T-Rex. Have you ever, you you might have seen stills or something from it. It literally is a T-Rex and a small girl team up to fight crime or something like that. Anyway, that sounds like it could be awesome, but Denise Richards is in it. So it's probably not. Whoa. 1997 would be her true breakout year as she would be in Starship Troopers and then followed that up the next year by being in Wild Things, a movie that my parents phoned me one night to tell me, oh, you've got to watch this movie. Wild Things. No way. Not even joking. (laughs) Your parents are so liberal, man. That's great. In some ways, yes. In a lot of ways, not at all. Uh, 1999 would also be good to her as she'd be the Bond girl in The World Is Not Enough. Over over the next decade, she'd be in such things as Undercover Brother, Scary Movie 3, and Love Actually. Then she would return to TV for a bunch of guest spots, especially working with her then-husband, Charlie Sheen, on Two and a Half Men and then his follow-up sitcom, Anger Management. In recent years, she's been starring in The Soap, The Bold and the Beautiful. The next film you might be able to see her in is Money Plane, which we've talked about already, as that is the one co-starring Kelsey Grammer and is described as a professional thief with $40 million in debt and his family's life on the line must commit one final heist, rob a futuristic airborne casino filled with the world's most dangerous criminals. It also stars Edge, the wrestler edge oh i thought you were gonna say like uh from u2 right the edge not the edge like no this is edge with the uh the the reverberating power cords i was a big Mm -hmm. uh u2 fan for a while i still like u2 and i know that it's an unpopular opinion so there you go yeah i have no idea what they released after 1999 (laughs) i mean technically you don't really need to know anything past that but still anyways uh uh, daniel dave here is uh i'm gonna send the Oh. rest of this copy over to you uh fair warning i don't think the machine had time to proofread this so it's a good thing that good luck i might have and made a few edits because you're a bitter old man machine when you least expect it i'm going to hit you over the head with a folding chair because i don't know much about christy alley Chris, oh is it kirsty or christy it, it, it's kirsty it's kirsty alley I don't know, I just think. like it's just like it's kirsten dunst not kristen dunst kirsten dunst i uh learned because she actually had a career okay let's move on I just want to say that all thoughts and opinions that Dave says are his and his alone. Fucking right they are. Uh, And I stand by them. Kirstie Alley was born January 12th, 1951. Her first role was in Star Trek II, The the Wrath of... Sorry, sorry. Not the 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 Ratch of Khan (laughs) that I just noticed is what it says? Star Trek II, The Wrench of Khan. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan in 1982. She was pretty good as a Vulcan lady in that. That was, mm-hmm. that was a pretty good movie. It's, it might even be considered the 
by some nerds as the Star Trek movie. But anyways. I would be one of those people. Earworms. So gross. Okay. She would be in a bunch of films and TV series, but what would truly make her famous was being cast on Cheers in the sixth season after Shelley Long left the show. She would stay on until it ended in 1993. Do you know how long she was on? I, I forgot. Yes. She was on for six seasons. Christ, so shows. Cheers ran for 11 years. Uh, Shelley Long was on for the first five, and then she took over for the last six. It's weird to think that Woody Harrelson became famous from that show, too. From that show, too, He yeah. actually had a career as well. He came in season three after the original coach died, unfortunately, so they had to recast him. Was, it, was his name Woody in the show? No, I don't think so. Yes, it was. Ah, yes, it funny. was. <laughs> During that time- I was a big Cheers fan, by the way, and, and also Frasier fan, so I, I kind of know all of these references. Watched a lot of reruns, eh? All right. Mm -hmm. During that time, she would be in Look Who's Talking. Wow, what a classic. And it's two sequels. That's John Travolta, right? With the, do with the babies that, dogs? The babies that talk? No, that's two men and a baby. Oh. What's, what's Look Who's Talking? Isn't that the babies that talk? Look Who's Talking? Who cares? Well, the, no one cares. <laughs> there, was, there was two franchises going on at the same time. There was basically the same pre premise. After the end of Cheers, she'd be in the film Deconstructing Harry. And for richer or poorer, before being in this film, Drop Dead Gorgeous. She'd returned to TV to star in Veronica's Closet, but that ended after three seasons. Since that time, she's been in a bunch of TV movies and guest, star, and guest starred on shows, but rarely appears in feature films. There are no further films, there are no future films planned as of right now. The last thing you might have seen her in is the TV movie, You Can't Take My Daughter. Is that like a... TV movie uh, Taken or something? It kind of sounded like a female version of Taken. It's awesome. Yes. It, no, it, there's no way that it's awesome. Kirsten Dunst, born April 30th, 1982. Her first film credit is New York Stories when she was eight, uh, sorry, when she was seven years old. Apparently, I can't read today. I just made this connection, which I didn't before. So, Kirstie Alley was in Deconstructing Harry, a Woody Allen film. And then uh, Kirsten Dunst was in this one, New York Stories, a Woody Allen film. So, they had their past with Woody Allen. Just saying. Yeah, it's that, the phrasing, man. After that, she was in The Bonfire of the Vanities, Interview with the Vampire, Little Women, uh, the 1994 version. Uh, it's been stressed by the nerd who wrote this, and Jumanji. There's only even five different versions of Little Women, so I want to be very clear about which <laughs> version she was in. <laughs> Jumanji's great. It holds up pretty well. I mean, the special effects are one thing, but uh, it's a good movie. The late 90s saw her act in a variety of different types of roles. She was in Wag the Dog, starred in The Virgin Suicide, and voiced the young Anastasia in that animated film. After Drop Dead Gorgeous, she would flex her comedy skills in things such as Dick. Sorry, I just wanted to really- stress on that. Yeah, good stress really, on that Dick, yeah. Uh, such as Dick and Bring It On, Helen's favorite movie. One of. It's not bad. I, I like Bring It On, too. Yeah. So. And what's her name? Gabrielle Union started her career on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe she was already in a DMX movie before that. She was. Uh, we, we saw her in uh, She's All That, wasn't it? Oh, She's yeah, that's that right. She was, uh, yeah. Varsity Blues or one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a uh, friend. <laughs> yeah, friend. Like, unnamed friend, but. <laughs> but it was the 2001 film Spider-Man that would make her super famous. Cast as Mary Jane Watson. I'm not going to read Peter Parker's girlfriend because everybody knows who MJ is. <laughs> She was maybe tell, but but describe uh, Uncle Ben's death because every movie needs to tell us about Uncle Ben's death. With so. great power comes great response. She was part of the infamous upside down kiss, which was mocked constantly for the next decade. Mocked is a strong word, Kyle. I would say I, I guess it remains parodied, maybe parodied for the next decade. Yeah, I I wrote here. I'm adding my opinion that uh, it remained in the cultural zeitgeist because it was memorable, Kyle. It was, yeah. And the first two Spider-Mans are awesome. She would also appear in the subsequent, uh, like the original Sam Raimi trilogy, the third of mm -hmm. which we will not mention because- uh, We awful. blame Sony for that. If you, if you read the history of how that film got made, he was handcuffed pretty heavily to make that movie. In recent years, she has stuck to drama in such, in such, oh, that's a weird phrase. I missed this. Take the such out. Yeah. In recent years, she has stuck to drama in very different things, such as Midnight Special, Hidden Figures, and The Beguiled. Up next, oh, sorry. Up next is The Power of the Dog, 
the new Jane Campion film, described as a pair of brothers who own a large ranch in Montana. No, sorry. A pair of brothers who own a large ranch in Montana are pitted against each other when one of them gets married. This movie was written by Lana Williams. Her resume is not extensive. She began on TV working on shows such as Hardball and Bless This House. And then she wrote 11 episodes of The Drew Carey Show. That was a great show. Also on reruns that I watched that. After this film, which was the first film she wrote, she would write the TV movie In My Opinion, provided additional dialogue for Shark Tale, and then wrote the 2015 film Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Currently, that is the last writing credit. Oh, sorry. Currently, that is the last credit, and there are no upcoming films as of right now. This movie was directed by Michael Patrick. What do you think? Jen? Yen? I'm going to say, I think it's Yan, probably, despite how it's spelled. With the two ends, right? Uh, yeah. Michael Patrick Yan. Or just in case you find a different. Or Jan, maybe. Michael Patrick Jan. 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 Michael Patrick Jan. Michael Patrick Jan. Born May 15th, 1970. This, this film was the first feature he directed. However, he'd stay mostly to TV episodes of Reno 911. Flight of the Concords, it's a great show, and Little Britain, USA. He'd also direct a bunch of TV movies. In recent years, he's helped to direct the Netflix show Atypical, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which is also a great show, and The Good Doctor. It appears he's going to return to feature filmmaking with his upcoming film Mantivity. With his upcoming film Mantivities, it's described as. A group of friends get together in an attempt to shake their adolescent behavior. That sounds awful. Yep. That, <laughs> that, that, uh, well, we welcome him back, though. We welcome him back. S- speaking <laughs> of that premise, you know what's a good movie about that? Tag. Tag's actually a pretty fun movie, but we'll move I'll, on. I'll take your word for Just it. Watch it. Your Just watch it. Just watch it, Kyle. <laughs> Come on. All right, let's move on. I only watch movies that the machine forces me to watch, so. I've heard I'm that sorry. about you. Yeah. Dave, uh, what were your thoughts on this film? I was pleasantly disappointed. I don't know. It, it, it was... Uh, it was Pleasantly disappointed. Okay. <laughs> it was watchable. Uh, there were genuinely some funny moments. With I mean, right from the outset, I just told myself, this is clearly a dark, satirical thing. So, I'm, I mean, having open sequence with Adam Weston is uh, great. And then, I don't know, at the end, it just dragged on too long. I didn't understand why the last 30 minutes were in the film, but um, it was good. There are obviously some 90s nuances that are problematic will sasso being uh-huh. will sasso is uh, I, yeah i was gonna say that's gonna be the biggest thing i'm gonna probably mention yeah, here in this uh, review it's kind of hard to watch i mean I, I thought will sasso was really funny when he was a mad tv uh, mainstay just because he's insane but uh yeah that character is quite offensive as the movie got going i was able to kind of settle into small town white america mm-hmm. it's a little jarring when it opens up because it, it it's 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 just quaint lower case q but, you know, as the story builds up, it's pretty funny. You know, so I, I enjoyed, like I sat through it. I didn't turn it off. <laughs> and I think... That's the, I, I want that to be the pull quote that they put onto the onto the poster on the 25th anniversary re-release of this film. It's just like, I, I sat through it. Dave, review by David Young. I sat through it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was waiting for the comeuppance. Are we allowed to spoil alert? And uh, when it came... Uh, I thought the movie was over and it went on for an additional, yeah, like easily 20 mm-hmm. minutes. And I just, I couldn't understand it. I, I thought it lost the point after that. Um, and th- that 20 minutes could have been better used to f- like fill out a little bit more of the murder mystery narrative, which is not actually played mm-hmm. that well. It's more just poking fun at, you know, small town America, but. Yeah. I think that that's that primarily what this movie is even concerned about is you know, we watched the the other movie that is sort of doing that, which is Election, although it's very nar- more narrowly focused, I think, in that movie. This one, of course, is also using the uh, beauty pageant idea to bring us into that, but I think very much goes into the surrounding town and uh, their relationship with it. Uh, as the resident small town person that grew up in a small town, uh, definitely not like a, uh, a, a United States small town, but... A small town nonetheless like there is a lot of the stuff that kind of rings true to me which is what i find funny about these is that they they are slightly poking fun at him um about the i think the darker side of small town life like it often is like it's quaint and it's so nice and quiet and everyone is so friendly but 
there's also the Minnesota nice and everything else that's like all wrapped up into that, that there's all these other things that are going on that no one really wants to talk about. You know, again, with all of the sociological books I read, it's fascinating. The veneer America has about the power of being polite. And these kind of movies are always trying to show that human beings are cruel, <laughs> murderous. Uh, I mean, I yeah. think all writing has, has that root where we're just like, hey, you know, we're all pigs. So let's get over it. You all look like pigs to me. I, th- I think what this movie is really doing well. And uh, once again, I know that you sometimes dislike me trying to bring in a deeper point to films. I, I'm not, my, my argument is not that it's the first thing to do this. Absolutely films and books and everything else had been concerned with this idea of like American exceptionalism, but like, is it really all that exceptional? Here's the dark side and let's reckon with that. Even the movie that would come out later uh, in a dramatic, a dramatic film, American beauty would also explore this concept. But I think that this is a very pre nine 11 movie in that way where it's like really like, you know, like, yes, we're in all these great times. Like we're just concerned about like, how great America is and we're focused on, um, you know, who the most beautiful person is in this small town. But really when it comes down to it, the American dream is this lie that we've been telling ourselves since the inception of our country. And I think that's what it's really delving into and why I kind of appreciate the final 20 minutes uh, that you kind of found to drag out a little bit because of a bunch of lucky breaks even if she did deserve it, but still through a lucky break, she finds herself finally going to like the final finals of this beauty contest only for it to be canceled and her not to be able to, you know, grab that, that trophy that she thinks that she deserves. You kind of find out like, even if you try and be nice and try and do the right thing and, and, and try and give back as much as you can, there's only so much the system's going to allow you to do. And the people that are like the richest are going to be the people who, make off with it anyways it's not going to be the person that's trying their best that's what it feels to me is what it's trying to say whether you think that it succeeds in that is another question but i think that's what it's trying to say Uh, i think my issue with that interpretation is i I don't necessarily disagree that there might have been that intent that would drive them to write those last whatever it is six scenes but i feel like Mm -hmm. the kirsten dunn's character is not portrayed that way she doesn't value winning as an exit strategy, she's portrayed as somebody who's supposed to be this moral center who does things for the sake of doing them right. There's a naivety to her. And so when she loses the pageant, she has, yeah, it's a spiritual moment because she's like, you know what? Like, I got to perform in front of my mom. And that was a key emotional um, moment for her, right? Like, it, it wasn't about winning. The, the, the character that wanted to win uh, was. Kirstie Alley. Yeah, and her daughter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, at the same time, I think that there is a little bit more uh, intentionality behind the Kirsten Dunst character because, like, her her big thing about being in the pageant at all is because Diane Sawyer did it. And she wants to become, like, the, you know, news anchor. So it's like, well, Diane Sawyer did it this way, so I have to do it the exact same way. She's, she's trying to copy somebody when that's not how you usually do things. But that's, you know, what I thought was interesting is in the way I saw it was, it was an expression of naivety because she doesn't reference Diane Sawyer's journalistic abilities, whatever. She just mm-hmm. has this idea that someone she really looks up to came from a small town, I apparently won a beauty contest and uh, ultimately ended up on national networks. Uh, there's that huge gap for me is, because it doesn't like it's just not there for her um and even her being willing to give and you know maybe she in hindsight should have uh when people are getting murdered to oppose uh you know the royalty it's something that she's willing to kind of concede for the safety of her melted hand mother and uh, all these other little gags that happen just because um she's not this person that wants to win at all costs i think that ending would have worked better if that was the comeuppance for the mother and the daughter if they didn't blow her up on a float and Kirsten Dunst actually got a career, like if we were going to do this, the epilogue thing I hated, but that was just kind of a shtick from that era. But, you know, if Kirsten Dunst finds a different path and ends up, you know, studying to imagine that, like 
actually mm-hmm. earning it through work and academics and not participating in a pageant. And then Denise Richards and her mom claw their way up to the top and it turns out there's nothing for them. There's, I mean, there's something that makes sense if you want to point the finger at, you know, the emptiness of the American dream. But um, they blew one up, they sent the other to prison, and then the girl that was the nice girl ends up standing by herself in front of a, a bus. Well, the other part too is, all, why, why would these girls even show up in a bus to a company that's foreclosed. That doesn't make sense. And then for all the women there to go fucking like Planet of the Apes and tear down in a riot, it, it it's just so awkward, man. None of it made sense to me. It felt very forced at the end. I, I, I it, like even what you bring up, which I think would have been a great uh, social uh, commentary, is lost. It just it's so awkward and. And then, you know, the final point is that I'm not a big fan of epilogues. It's such a cop out. Like the, like, this character did this yeah, thing. And this like person the, like, grew up. And, yeah, Damn. I think that stuff's bullshit. But uh, it's not funny, you know? It's, uh, it can be. Yeah, very rarely. But yeah, exactly. So. I, I kind of agree with you. I'm usually not a fan of them just putting the text on. Like, if this is important, then put it in the movie. Right. Don't just, uh, right. like, explain it away in, like, 30 seconds. Uh, I, I don't know. I... I guess I'm just much more positive on the ending than than what you are. Uh, so I don't want to get too drawn into that conversation. The the riot thing I'll just mention for from my perspective, uh, not that I know like a lot about the pageant scene. Uh, I mean, this beautiful face, you wouldn't believe it, but I've never been in a pageant before. But from what I understand, it's like for a lot of those girls, it's like this is their way out. Like, sure, I can use my beauty to... Um, get deals or whatever there's a there's a lot of opportunity get a scholarship that sort of thing like a lot of that those contests can can give you that opportunity so when that is wrenched away from you completely when it's out of your control i could see them getting to a point where they want to ravage the hotel you, you know what's sad about what you just said kyle is uh i mean we're on a podcast because we're not going to win beauty pictures no no uh you know what's sad is uh <laughs> that moment when she's uh, just before the food poisoning when she's watching all the women um mm-hmm. warm up is that at that national level they're depicted as actually having real talent and so exactly right, right. so we're like looking at this and i i don't i agree with you on the point that and in, in america uh, and maybe other sort of overly capitalistic worlds um the uh, equating physical beauty and access to upper classmanship i mean that's a real thing but how sad is it and how cynical that there's a woman who's an opera singer clearly um but she feels like she yeah. needs to look good in a bikini to get a shot at what like singing at the met i mean that those two things are incongruous no, nobody gives a shit in the opera world whether you want a pageant mm-hmm. but i agree with you that it's not because that's not true I, that is how a lot of people are raised i don't even know if it's a small town thing i have no idea i don't follow pageants i've always thought of them as uh, disgusting um but well i mean just to just to prove your point and because i have to prove myself of being like uh the woke person on here on this podcast let's not go there no, no i'm just joking okay, there, there there is male beauty pageants of course but i think that women's beauty pageants are like by far the ones that people focus on there are, but it wait, always wait, has sorry. felt like are that there male beauty pageants there is but i don't know how successful so you have they competed. actually are we'll have to get some pictures my like my bikini is amazing no but i was saying it's like please. the 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 female beauty pageant has always felt to me uh and really what it is like oh yeah you're like really good singer or musician or whatever now uh show me the majority of your body show me your boobs, <laughs> like that that's right. like that's basically what it kind of gets brought down to i don't know and i guess there, there can be a, a, a empowering nature to that too there could be a way to do that where it's not just like just show me your your body i don't think there but. is there's I mean, unless you're going to go to america's got talent or star search but mm-hmm. the reality is those are the same except out of humiliation right it's the the capitalist humiliation and those people never i mean what what is the hit ratio of someone who comes out of a talent show i mean not to take advantage of what's going on in the world today uh but one of the thoughts i've had because i'm not very active right now is uh what we're seeing is the end, like, yeah, this veneer being ripped off. And it's. Yeah, yeah. And when you say this, I think we should be very explicit. We're talking about like the Black Lives Matter protests and stuff that are going on around the world. Yeah, uh, Black Lives Matter for sure as a figurehead. But even even everything coming out of coronavirus and all this stuff and seeing how different sure. countries are dealing with it. You know, speaking about earlier about, um, I can't remember how you put it, but 
yeah, how people want to display their country as having power. I mean, it's over. Uh, wh- whatever the impact may be, and they may go on in a in a pantomime for another few generations, but um, we're seeing that it's been rotting maybe from its inception. I was just reading mm-hmm. up on uh, uh, Frederick Douglass because he uh, uh, has a quote that I, I like, but I think even from the inception, let's say, of the uh, just to pick on the United States, um, you know, they've had a rotten core from the beginning. And you know me, capitalism and the chase of money, wealth, and power, and class, uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, to bring it back to this movie, because I, I agree with everything that you're saying. I think that's what the biggest, I can't really say revelation, because it's been something that I've been wrestling with. And especially once, once you came into my life, it's like all you ever talk about. <laughs> but like the inherent evil might be the strong word, but the inherent evil that capitalism engenders corruption. in society, the corruption, because it basically, uh, someone else put it this way. If the ultimate goal is to become a, like a multimillionaire or even a billionaire, there is no way to do that without stepping on people. Right. There's no like f- good way for you to become like ultra rich because all that means is that you're either exploiting workers like very um, explicitly or you're implicitly doing it. Like that's the only way to get to that amount of power and that amount of money. And I think that, that there's an attempt at least in Drop Dead Gorgeous to sort of kind of get into that. I don't think that that it gets too far in, but it's like these people were successful because of the nepotism, because of um, the inherent passive aggressiveness. Like it's pretty obvious that Kirstie Alley is the one who probably stole Kristen Dunst's dress and disposed of it somehow because she really wants her daughter to win. And, and that is basically the American dream in a nutshell. It's like, it doesn't matter how much you go and try your best. There's going to be someone who kind of like fiddles with the scales to tip it into whatever direction they personally want it to go into. I think it's actually- I think that, yeah. And then nowadays we're seeing kind of like, the dissolution of that, especially when we're saying like, you know, defund the police or like uh, capitalism is inherently evil. It's like, we're done with this. Let's break, let's burn it down and build something new. And I don't know how well that's going to go over the next, uh, you know, decade or so, but that's kind of where we're at. Uh, it won't go well, but uh, I think it's actually very explicit in this movie. I mean, the the father is openly talking about taking advantage of Mexican workers uh, right, right. and making fun of them about talk. I mean, it's, it's intentionally offensive. But it's not played strong enough, and that might just be the sign of the times because there was still a strong enough counter movement. Maybe they were afraid if they push it. Then it's not like people weren't woke in the '90s. I mean, there have been people that have been trying to yeah. liberate everybody again since the inception of that country, which is not to excuse Canada either. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I, we should not be saying like Canada is this bastion of like liberal progressivism. No. Like we have our own demons to to deal with. Although uh, you know, yeah. Uh, with the exception of, uh, yeah, definitely the First Nations people have a larger gripe. I think uh, Canada's a little bit softer, maybe just because we're so far apart. Nobody's Nobody knows what the other person's doing. But uh, I don't have to look at you if I don't want to. Oh, now we do because the internet brings <laughs> us together. Kyle, yeah. you can't escape me. <laughs> I, I'll just keep fucking FaceTiming you. What are you going to do then? That's right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Drop Dead Gorgeous, actually, I think... The strength of the movie comes from this explicit dive. Uh, so, uh, to your point about uh, me influencing you about my anti-capitalist nature, it's not just stepping on other people's toes. To, it's not just stepping on other people's toes. Pageantry talks about selling your own soul, right? Uh, you know, talking about I'm I'm a highly trained violinist. I've had a violin in my hand since I was three years old. You know, Mozart style. But the only way I believe that I'm going to make it is if I take all my clothes off work out every day to look good in a bikini. Th- that's fucking insane. It do- it just doesn't make any sense, but it's normal. Well, I mean, and this can be ratcheted up even even more so. Like you look at the the Marvel superheroes. I'm thinking of like Hugh Jackman specifically. I read this article once, like him being shredded in Wolverine. The only way he did that, yes, it's like not eating any carb for like a few months. And then even before he goes in films, he doesn't drink water for 36 hours. Just so it like yeah, <laughs> you know, contracts everything. So it's like, how good of a life is that? I mean, the money must be great, I guess in, in the compensation, but still like, that's a, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, yeah. I, and because we're moved people, we can make lots of excuses about, you know, the concept, for example, of method acting and, and the value yeah. the individual might derive from being able to accomplish something like that. But, but you're right, it's exactly that problem. I mean, comic books in their expression visually, kind of like my new uh, self-plug photography uh, podcast, but uh, my approach to photography in general being kind of negative to culture uh, because it's presenting images that we believe we have to conform to. And so comic books, for example, particularly uh, after the 70s, 
when the and then all the way through today uh, well maybe 10 years ago um you know every woman is depicted as this impossible body in skin tight something regardless of their power and all the guys mm -hmm. if they aren't wearing a trench coat have muscles where muscles don't exist have you know body yeah, shapes there's, there's that 12 don't, packs yeah right and so the avengers movies come out and and the x-men prior and they have no choice but to conform to it it is actually i wonder if i watched the first x-men if it would be jarring how unbuff they are compared to the modern avengers because that uh, that was the well, best I mean, they could accomplish in that era right I think we kind of mentioned this back when we were talking about Austin Powers, when we started talking about James Bond specifically, like right. you stack up like Roger Moore and um, <laughs> uh, Sean Connery <laughs> Sean or Connery, George Lazenby. Sean Connery still uh, had that. Yeah. He, he was pretty tough looking in his speed. Yeah, but yeah. you put him next to like Daniel Craig <laughs> and it's like, yeah. you're looking at a kindergartner and like uh, like a 20 year old <laughs> as far as like buffness goes. Right. Like it's, it's night and day. Uh, you can so you can see like the changing of the times of of what that kind of um, imagery I guess kind of puts into our popular culture. No. Um, this is all to say that this movie I think is very funny. Yeah, it <laughs> is. I know we've been talking about like really heavy topics, Sorry. but I had a really good time. I think that everyone is like on top form. We mentioned all like the actresses. I think what's interesting I mentioned a few times like the Bechdel test about uh, you know is there more than one woman character? Do they talk to each other? And do they speak about a man uh, when they do? Can it pass or do they not talk about a man? Can it pass it? Like this passes it like in the first five minutes. Yep. Like this, I don't like there is male characters, but they're so not they're all, important to this movie right. at all. Like this is about women for women written by a woman. It's almost too bad it wasn't directed by a woman because I think it would have even brought another different style to this that uh, would have been, I think, would have like capped it off really, really nicely. But uh, you can definitely tell that that this is, you know, uh, and I wonder, I don't necessarily want to cast judgment, but I wonder if that 26% on Metacritic is because this was a movie not really made for the majority of the male critics out there. Yep. I mean, I, <laughs> you know I, what I, I think mean? so. I, I think, you know, it'd be interesting, you know, one of the premises of this podcast that we kind of miss a lot on is reframing what we would have been like in 99 watching this movie. Yes. And I, I don't know, you know, it, when I was 20, whatever, would I have understood the satire and dark humor or would I have just wanted to see people blowing up? I have no idea. I will speak for myself. I don't think, because I would have been 16, I guess, at this time. I think, yeah, because it was in July that this released. So uh, I don't think I would have picked up on the satire necessarily. I probably would have picked up on maybe some of it. It's like, oh, it's making fun of America or small town America, at least. And I, there were some other jokes that I would have understood definitely at that time. And there's some psych gags and stuff like that that would have definitely been picked up on. I, do, I don't think I would have picked up on the, the subtext that's going through this entire movie. Yeah. Um, so I, I do appreciate now coming to it as an adult. Speaking of sort of being written by a woman and having these strong female characters, I loved how cringy the the perv judges and it's such a reflection yes. of watching this movie as a male because particularly mm -hmm. you know either being an old pervert that wants to see all the young pageantry uh, or a teenage boy like the boyfriend who just uh, wants to, yeah. to to smush it um that scene when they're doing the choreography uh, outside on the driveway and that creepster's like, you know, holding the camera and he's like, well, you know, it's like you guys, I just take video. Like, it, it's uh, such an expression of uh, that culture. What would be interesting is if they moved that, may, what would be interesting is if they made that movie now, if that would even be an old, creepy, bald dude in a small shop or if it might have just been like one of the dads, like the context of that thing has changed a lot. Yeah, I I mean, I think that this has been a recurring thing and definitely in the last few years about the whole pageantry industry that's out there in the United States is that it does drive a lot of that creepy male behavior towards very young women. And I'm glad that they had it in this movie specifically, only because I think that really is casting a glance at the almost like the audience watching is like, uh, you're kind of like this. Yes. If you enjoy this sort of thing, like there, it's going to bring these people in. Um, I think I think the elephant in the room here that we kind of briefly mentioned is the very liberal and very unfunny Will Sasso character. Uh, li liberal use of sorry the R word. I'm just going to say the R word uh, in relation to people that have lower mental faculties. You, you've um, also made fun of his weight with that idiom. So uh, I'm just sorry. Yeah. yeah. So you're not you're not a saint, Kyle. You're no I'm not saint. A saint. Uh, yes, it was it was surprising when they used. 
I'll say it, but when they use the word retard so openly and brazenly to describe a single village idiot, let's call it, uh, because it's not used in the term of Down syndrome or like all of these real mental afflictions people have. It's just this clown who acts like, I mean, he's, I don't understand the the character at all. The issue about it, like if you're going to have that type of character, I would even say you could probably get away with it even using that word. Um, if it was not in direct relation, making fun of him, like it, it, he is there to be laughed at, not to be laughed with. He is there's literally an, a scene that goes on so long with him. Uh, one of his like straps get caught, gets caught in a door oh, yeah, the and then he's like flailing around and trying to fight with like the local kids and like people throw things at him. And so it's like, this is a not funny, I don't think. And B, it just goes on for so long. And there's like three scenes with him very prominently that are basically the same thing yeah. of like, let's laugh at this guy who like uh, says weird things or touches people inappropriately. I was hoping the whole way through, I mean, if we want to talk about missed opportunities, I was hoping the whole way through that you would get that turn. I mean, it's a little cliche, but that, and, and they, they almost played this, but that the so-called village idiot would be the key to unlocking the mystery. Uh, either because of something he would be able to notice that nobody else was capable of, or because, you know, for example, with the judges all being part of this conspiracy, um, he would blurt and he, and he kind of almost does in the judging room, but it's it's it disappears after, you know, the, the, the pervert tries to beat him up, which felt like after that happened, and then, yeah, then it cuts to the parade and he's just stuck in a door. It's, uh, at that point, it's, it's awful. It's, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just... And then he's yeah, beating up a kid and force, and then now he's a bully. He's like force feeding him cotton. Candy. Like I couldn't understand like what's going what on. What's going yeah, on yeah. there? That's why I thought that would be the end of the movie because I just figured they're tying, literally tying everything up, pun intended. And uh, and it wasn't Kyle. It wasn't the end of the movie. So before we ask about whether or not this is still culturally relevant, uh, just some few things I wrote down. Again, growing up in a small town, I enjoyed the fact that there's a bunch of people who are chewing Copenhagen. I don't know if that was a thing nope. for you growing up, no but uh, chew, is. chew tobacco, chewing tobacco. Uh, okay. Uh, so Copenhagen is a brand, so you just put it into your bottom lip Disgusting. and you like suck on it and then spit it out into a can. I've never usually, understood but... chewing tobacco. Just smoke some cigarettes. <laughs> like a man. Like a man. Okay, come on. Uh, just something that ties together this movie with the last movie we talked about, Superstar, in a really interesting way. And once again, lets me talk about Stephen Sondheim, like my favorite composer. You may have noticed that there is a song that played in both of these shows. Uh, it's the same one. So there is a, a point where uh, Brittany Murphy is doing her like talking head uh, to the thing. And she's listening to uh, a song called Rose's Turn from the show Gypsy. It plays like for whatever, 45 seconds for however long her scene is. Same exact scene that Glennis John was watching on television uh-huh. in Superstar. So interesting, like a uh, correlation between these two movies. Of course, that's something why, you that noticed. Says. Yeah, of course, mm-hmm. that's something you noticed. I'm just saying it's uh, it's there. It did happen, apparently. I'm not going to go back and fact check it, but <laughs> fact check it, fact check it. Oh, and another movie that this is a callback to is uh, 10 Things I Hate About You because they both sing uh, It's Too Good, you're, sorry, you're Too Good to Be True is sung in both of those movies. So there's something going on in 1999 where like comedy films were like <laughs> using similar songs. And I, I just wonder, pieces. yeah. I mean, uh, musicals are trying to make a comeback. They've been gone too long. Um, just a brief, like I, I think you're going to get to the point where we're running out of time and everything. I just wanted to reiterate again how, uh, A, there were so many young women who would become uh, big stars. Yeah, this is Amy Adams' first film. Right. Which is pretty exciting. Um, who I think is, I know that so many people love Amy Adams. I still think she is criminally underrated. Yeah, she's <laughs> As an actress. She can do she's everything. She's like been nominated, even like as an actress, if you if you consider Oscars to be worthy of anything, I think she's only been nominated once, maybe twice. Oh, really? Which I think is bonkers to me because I think she's great in everything. But yes. Um, she yeah, she's great, and it is fun to watch. And that's acting range for you because uh, mm-hmm. she's done everything from campy Disney musicals to acting mm-hmm. as the sexual object in this to hard hitting dramas like The Fighter and what I mean, science fiction. She does well, everything, like even The Master and stuff yeah, like that. Incredible. Like where she's very like <laughs> very very fiercely dramatic. Yeah, <laughs> um, you had Brittany Murphy who uh, mm-hmm. was. Before pre nervous breakdown, whatever, and she's great in it. She's actually like really fun to watch and really sweet. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
it's funny too. What's her name? Ellen Barkin's actually pretty good. And there's a moment I noticed when she's hugging Kirsten Dunst where they actually like the casting. They could actually. I felt like they could actually be mother and daughter. There's a yeah. There's yeah, a good yeah. energy between them. They they played off each other well. And then Allison Janney, 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 Allison Janney, Janney. playing her what would become a, a big type of role for her. But I think before she's yeah. recognized of playing this type of role, she's great in it. Well, yeah, that's true. And because uh, she would have been on the, oh no, I'm going to try to think. Yeah, the West Wing would have been come out by now, I think, in 1999. So I think, yeah, it was this and West Wing at the same time. Uh, my my opinion, tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think part of the reason why this is such a big movie in like the LGBTQ community is not only because it's like a lot of strong women and like, it's funny and it's campy and like just the right way. Um, I think it's never explicitly said, but I feel that there is an undercurrent of Alice and Jenny Ellen Barkin actually being a couple. They never say that explicitly in this movie, but it feels like that that's kind of what's going on with that relationship. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Alice and Jenny does, Allison Janney does spend a lot of time betting uh, everybody, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe I, I think the fun part was uh, at first this it felt this naive thing where uh, Brittany Murphy's talking about her brother in, in Broadway, and I was basically mm-hmm. uh, either drag or trans or something, but he's always dressed up as famous yeah. women. Um, but that big uh, moment with her dad <laughs> in the blog yeah. post thing, and uh, the look on his face, you know, when he's got to confront mm-hmm. the idea that uh, his son is actually gay. I mean, that's it's great. Yeah. It's actually really funny. And uh, just because I'm an asshole, I mean, uh, Denise Richards was actually really good in this movie. I I am not a big Denise Richards acting I, fan. You've, you've mentioned a few times on this show, yes. <laughs> um, but she was great in this and uh, her sort of Denise Richards persona plays so well, like, because she has, you know, a bit of the resting bitch face. She does really cold and calculating well in this film. When she's holding the guns and stuff, you're just like, oh my God, like this mm-hmm. This girl probably killed everybody. Um, and then uh, K- yeah. Kirstie Alley was uh, was okay. I'm not, I don't know. There's something about her that she creeps me out, man. Oh, you hate Republicans, I guess. <laughs> Actually, I mean, the irony of uh, what those words have uh, become to mean in the yeah. modern political uh, I mean, I think, uh, I think what she does so well is that she, it feels like she is borrowing from like the Fargo, like talking style. Uh, but coming from from an evil way, where Francis McDormand was like this lovable, right. like truth seeker in Fargo, this is like the corrupt version of that of that character almost. So that that was fun, when, I guess, in that way. When is Fargo? Is it around the ninety six? Okay, so it's coming. I think. I don't know. Other than that, I mean, there are a couple of uh, like I recognizable faces, but I don't think they became kind of a big deal. And it was interesting, like again, in the parts that I didn't really like, like Nora from or Nora, whatever her name is from Saturday Night Live, makes an appearance. And uh, yeah, um, yeah. But the, again, the the ending. I mean, I like that Adam Adam West is in it. He actually, yeah, it's I not just Adam his West. voice I, or reference to him. He's. I didn't even like when it first started. I'm like, wait a second, Adam West is in this movie, <laughs> and I'm so bad that that was the only thing that he was in. Yeah. I was like, I wanted him to come back. The there's two last things I wanted to mention, which is number one, the. Uh, because this is basically a mockumentary, and I didn't know that going into this movie. Right. I thought that it might be one of those things that starts that way and then kind of transitions into a traditional movie. So it actually took me a while to like lock into like the style. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is going to be a mockumentary for the entire thing. I'm like, okay, I got it, and then I was was fine with it. I love it's a bit of a throwaway joke in a way, but I love that this crew meets up with the, uh, cops, the cops crew, crew. that are filming. Yeah. Uh, big rips to cops because it was canceled here recently, but, uh, uh, you know, awful show. It's, uh, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It is an awful show, but I'm just saying it's, uh, it's fun seeing those two kind of run into each other. Well, it was interesting uh, reading the machine's backstory that the director did Reno 911. And so there's... Mm-hmm. Look at me when you mention my name. That uh, list of credits, I, Flight of the Conquerors, I, I love all that stuff. So there's, there's cores where... Uh, this would lead on to subsequent comedies sure. that would stay in the same vein, but uh, that part. Was Do you think that this still is culturally relevant? Does it hold up after all these years? I think the themes are. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know enough about small town living whether people would still identify. Like oh, I, big man still, on campus over here. Well, uh, well he's tromping around. Uh, number one, of course, yes. But number two, <laughs> throwing his cigarette butts into my Copenhagen chewing face. Oh man, I smoked a lot of cigarettes once. Um, 
at one time in my now um you know for example are there still parades are there still local pageants like you know i I have no idea man i think it's more like do you think people are still going to watch this because i think that i'm definitely going to probably watch this movie again oh yeah i'll I'll speak for myself i think that this is something i'll probably return to i don't ever see this movie getting out of its like cult like nature it's going to be important for a very small section but will it be on like the afi's top 100 comedies of all time i'm doubtful that they'll ever cross into that threshold. I, I think, uh, you know, if we're in, in that context, I think it's written intelligently enough and acted well enough that it could have been something. And not, it's not a bag on the director, but like I said, I, I think the structure of the movie falls flat in its runtime uh, for it to be like a, a memorable movie in a historical way, but it's got a lot of mm-hmm. intelligence behind it and uh, social commentary, which is fun to watch. But I don't know if I'd ever watch this movie again. Uh, uh, and I'm just trying to think, like a millennial, whatever the new Gen Zs or whatever they are, uh, will they even Zoomers? Yeah, will they even understand the context other than the obvious, like bagging on the states, showing how woke you are right now is so uh, trending, right? This is how old people mm-hmm. talk about young people. It's it's hashtagging. But uh, this is like the, the the eternal question for me, and there's no way to say this without sound, sounding like old man yells at cloud. Is I see less and less of people even my age but definitely younger really even wanting to engage with older films and when i say older films basically i'm saying anything pre-1980 you know what i mean like even that might be getting too old nowadays and and there's going to be exceptions to that rule but it's getting harder and harder i think for people even to engage with that stuff a for some of the problematic material that absolutely pops up in older films but also because it's just like why watch this when we can make our own stuff or when there's more relevant stuff being made for me today on the 15 different streaming services that are available. Uh, that might just be, again, me being old and not knowing, I, being plugged into like the young people. I don't but. think it's your age. I think it's the blinders you have for being a, a film and musical nerd, which is that, mm. uh, like, for example, we're very similar in that way. The things that we notice, A, about watching films together, but even yeah. wanting to talk about films, that's already a very small segment of the world. I, I don't know if we brought up on this podcast, but I've been so upset about it vocally when I learned that trailers are structured intentionally to give away the movie because the they ending, found the yeah. general public won't pay unless they know that it will end a certain way. That's insane, Kyle. Like, as a movie <laughs> lover, I hate that. I refuse to watch. Um, well, that's why I don't watch trailers much anymore until after I've seen the movie. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, but that's our opinion. So I think in our circle, whether you're born in 2000, ugh, after 2000, which is insane to me. Um, hey, those people are working. They're in the working world now, Dave. Those folks uh, will watch movies from the 50s. And like me, you know, does the context of Breakfast from T- at Tiffany's change now that I'm hyper aware? I don't know. I don't think that movie's good in the first place. I mean, Mickey, Rur- right. uh, Mickey Rooney's uh, yellow facing is very upsetting. But uh, I didn't actually enjoy the the movie in principle anyways, right? Um, uh, just bringing that point up, the f- one of the funnier bits is the Japanese family adopting the small town white girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. That bit, I'd be like super ultra American about it, right? But like in, a, in such a racially <laughs> insensitive, hilarious, right? Uh, over, mm-hmm. over Americanized thing. And I love that the daughter does the uh, whole pageant from this Japanese American culturalization perspective she's not a white girl pretending you know playing as a white girl yeah, yeah. Small t- she's she's like a japanese girl pretending to be white it's in you know it's it's fun yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. that's a very complex joke but i enjoy that you know that that kind of stuff's fascinating I, um so I, I don't know there's stuff that in this movie film nerds will always be able to take out of uh the general populace will never watch and there's a reason why it's only on dvd uh, nobody gives a shit about movies yeah, like this yeah Exactly. Yeah. We're done here. All right. Well, the machine has told us to stop. Uh, so so let us get into some trivia here. I was going to print this out here for myself. So this film has gained new fans with time and is regarded as a cult film. In 2011, Allison Janney stated that she is approached by more fans of this film than for her Emmy winning tenure on the West Wing, which is like fascinating to me that that is 
uh, still true. Lastly, oh, we've kind of talked about this, but Kirstie Alley used Frances McDormand's performance in Fargo as her inspiration as Gladys regarding Minnesotan dialect and mannerisms. So I guess it was a direct reference to Fargo. You know, you should have done. We should have got a guest from Minnesota to bag on oh, yeah. actresses' yeah. Uh, Minnesotan mm. accents. It's kind of like I'm trying to look up. No, uh, no one lives in South Dakota, Dave. <laughs> All right, I'm going to send the next two over here to you, Dave. You can read those. Let's see here. <clears throat> I just clear my... <clears throat> yeah, just <clears throat> a good clear. Yep. <clears throat> In July 2019, the movie was released for streaming for the first time on Hulu. On Hulu, which was met... We do not get that in Canada, so that is partly why we probably could not stream it. I remember the first time... Oh, no, uh, one of the times I visited my brother in the States when he used to live there. And uh, at the time, we only had Netflix. This is probably 10, more than 10 mm -hmm. years ago. And they, were, they had just opened Hulu. And I was, I was like, there's a competitor yeah. to Netflix and it's called Hulu? Anyways. It is uh, also now basically a majority owned by Disney, which is true for everything. Disney owns Hulu. Too. Of course they do. 60% of it. Because it, uh, it was before it was owned by the four major networks. But since Disney now owned, because it, Disney owned ABC... Now it owns Fox, so it now owns a majority share of the uh, the of Hulu. Fun fact. What the, I'm just trying to think of what science fiction movie. I, I think all of them depict the next global superpower as a conglomerate of corporations. But uh, oh, yeah. Disney's. I'm sure Disney Google will combine at some point and then just own everything. Oh, before I finish, quick uh, quick shout out to the current uh, president of the United States, who's uh, deeply entrenched in the pageant world. F fucking pig. Okay, let's move on. All <laughs> oh, right. Well, talk about not getting political on this show. <laughs> Welcome, Dave. Uh, <laughs> shit. I had it under control, Kyle. Fuck. Just, just go full like Twitter on it, <laughs> fucking Cheeto. <laughs> In the Oval Office. Hate him. <laughs> In, uh, this is why I'm not on, this is why Twitter kicked me off Twitter. Oh, that's such a dumb story. In July 2019, I'll start from the beginning. The movie is released for streaming for the first time on Hulu, which was met with a host of celebratory tweets, particularly among women and queer people who have long recognized it as a cult classic. This is according to the Independence Adam White. Am I supposed to, is that a prominent person in that circle? No, I, I, okay. that was probably just a copy and paste. Good job, robot. I do other things besides this podcast. You know. The original title was Dairy Queens, but it had to be changed after the corporation that owns the Dairy Queen ice cream chain filed the lawsuit. Is that Disney? I mean, this is just to bring it back together. <laughs> it's probably Disney. Yes. It, they, they had to actually buy Dairy Queen so that they could make the Frozen movie. <laughs> so. <laughs> ah, shit. I'm glad uh, they well, changed it. I guess that means that we are now to the reckoning. We have to rate this movie out of five. The machine makes us do this each and every week. And, uh, Dave, what would you rate this movie out of five? You know, I think despite liking so many parts of it, I'm going to give it a two only oh, wow. because at the last third or whatever it is quarter, I, I just, I wanted to leave. I didn't, I did really didn't like the way that it wrapped up, but uh, I would hmm. say the first two thirds is probably a three and a half. And uh, so, you know, what? I mean, I, when I just go up to like a two and a half out of five, Oh, okay. Yeah, let's Let do me that. Just adjust this rating here so I can. Because uh, this one's a hard one to rate because I really did enjoy watching many parts of it, but uh, mm -hmm. I didn't like how I felt at the end of it. So I am going to give it. Uh, let me tell me what my rating is going to be. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of there with you, which is I think that so much of this film for me is like a plus, like knock it out of the park. And then with the Will Sasso character and some other things, and this knocks it down a few pegs for me. Not as much as you, Dave. I'm giving this a four. I think it's pretty strong. Oh, wow. But yeah, not enough to get into what I consider like the great among greats, which is like 4.5 to 5. That's my, my range here, which, yes, I did rate South Park a five, just to put that back out I mean, into the ether can we again. Just compare, so I, can we just quickly compare these two movies in terms of intelligence, sure. political satire, and commentary on culture? You... You fucking fanboy. <laughs> I mean, this movie is infinitely <laughs> written infinitely in a smarter way than that other piece Anyways, of I shit. Have to get, uh, I, have to, I have to go <laughs> off and uh, judge this beauty competition here soon. So we have to wrap this show up. No, uh, so, we, so where we're at, we're tied with one other movie, which is we're tied with election here mm. uh, in this case. So what do you think, Dave? Do you think this is better or worse than election? I, I would actually put it above election. I, mm -hmm. I think uh, it was more fun. 
I think election just, I, I, I actually don't remember election well enough. Isn't that a weird thing to think about? Like to compare them um, right now? I would, yeah, it's hard. I, I think it would depend on the day for me personally. Um, my, my rating is actually higher on election technically, but, uh, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's do, let's leave it there. Have it above election here for right now, because I think that there might be a couple other movies coming up that I'm going to have to convince you to pump up on the list. So, uh, I'm just going to say that. We'll, we'll call so, it alphabetical and, and avoid yeah, right. the, uh, yeah, avoid the controversy as they say, uh, across the pond. So, entering our list at the number 12 position is Drop Dead Gorgeous. If you want to see the full list, you can do so by going to our Letterboxd page. There's a link to it in the show notes. But letterboxd.com slash kdvstm is where you can see the full list. And, of course, kdvstm is also what our social media handles are on both Instagram and on Twitter. So, you can check us out there. So, uh, let's find out what we're going to be watching next week, Dave. We can push this button here, uh, and I'm totally not opening up a new document because I forgot to open it up. I am the machine. Just, the machine's opening a document. It's just printing out this very long document here, of course, so that I can tell you that our next thing, <laughs> our next movie, Dave. Oh, it's going to be your favorite actress. We're going to be watching Runaway Bride. Uh, are you sure it's initiating the apocalypse, or are we in the apocalypse <laughs> right now? I- Who knows. Who knows? Well, before we run away, Dave, do you mind if you, can you just cross your legs or something there? That sash is, it's chafing or rubbing something and I'm not, I'm not here for that. I don't remember the quote from the movie, but uh, something along the lines of uh, only horse cross their legs. Yeah. In the pageant world, we keep our knees together and our ankles crossed. Kyle, you should know better. You should know better. (laughs) 